welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. We are back. That didn't sound good. It's my morning voice trying to go high-pitched. And uh, here in the bleachers, we are on the Bleacher Blums. A little bit of a hiatus. We had to push things back a little bit. So I greatly appreciate uh, my good co-host, David Tuttle, and our producer, Mark Ramos, dealing with some of the scheduling issues that I've created. Uh, We'll get into that in a further later podcast, talking about uh, my opportunity at the Houston Open to watch some golf and work a little bit. But my uh, offseason has officially begun, and I'm happy to be back right here on this podcast. It has been beautiful out here in Houston. It's been 75, 80 degrees every day. Random thunderstorm came through earlier in the week, and then all of a sudden it just gave way to an unbelievable weekend down here in Houston. And I know that a lot of people probably enjoyed getting outside and enjoying some of this California-type weather. But speaking of California, my co-host here on the Bleacher Blums is David Tuttle. Tuttle, it's been a while. I don't even think we've texted enough uh, over the last week or two or so, but uh, how are things out there on the left coast and how are things in the Tuttle household, man? Going well, Blummer. Great to be back. Uh, You know what's funny? You guys talking about the weather is like, yeah, if you want that great, beautiful Houston weather uh, 340 days out of the year, just just make a little jaunt west to where I'm at. So, uh, yeah. yeah. You know what? I also want to retire someday. (laughs) Yeah. I know. No, I got you. And we've talked about that off air too. Like, if you want to retire, you know, live in California as long as you can, um, buy real estate if you can, and then you can go anywhere in the country and live. So, um, but it's more difficult going the other way. But uh, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. But it is nice that you guys have great weather for the Houston Open and uh, for the weekend that you had. But yeah, we haven't been in touch. Everything's going well out here. i uh been working hard, looking forward to the holidays to take some time off. And, uh, you know, as always, I don't know what you guys are doing for Thanksgiving because your family's all over the place. But uh, we're, we're going to drive up the left coast a little bit and, um, you know, see some family members that we don't see very often. And that goes like everybody else's Thanksgiving. The first day is pretty good. Second day is like, all right, you're settling in. And third day, you're like, man, when can we uh, squeal tires and get out of here? So, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this Thanksgiving is actually going to be a little bit different for us just because we are not going to uh, be seeing family. I know that uh, we've got some uh, family out in California still, and they, uh, you know, I think they're going to stay out west. And there's just been a lot of of issues traveling and stuff like that. So I think that we are kind of going to be on our own a little bit this Thanksgiving. Uh, obviously we have a sister-in-law in town, so she will come over and have dinner with us. That might be the most family we get, but it's kind of interesting. And I just made a note because in a future podcast, we have to talk about why we went to college as, as, you know, as athletes being recruited, drafted, uh, being, t- uh, you know, thought after for schools and for professional teams, you know, why did we, uh, why did we go to school? Uh, but we'll save that for a further podcast. But the only reason I bring that up is because this Thanksgiving, I, my oldest daughter is a senior and we've done the Texas tour of schools. Uh, you know, she's gone to visit TCU, A&M. Uh, we virtually visited, I think, Texas Tech. We've been to UT. Sam Houston, you know, there's a lot of schools in the area and they're actually surprisingly to me, all of my daughters, this might surprise you too, Tuttle, is being from California and having my daughters born and raised in California until they were about 13, 14, moving to Texas, I am I automatically assumed that everything that uh, they were going to do as far as, you know, post high school schooling was going to be on the West Coast. 
But to my surprise and my enjoyment, a lot of them, all four of them have actually been pretty intrigued with Texas schools and a lot of these Southern schools. And my oldest daughter is actually, her first choice, she has told us, is Arkansas. So we will be going to visit Arkansas at the end of our Thanksgiving break. And the crazy thing about that is my younger brother, Greg, played at the University of Arkansas for for baseball. Uh, Now he's a policeman out in California, but... That was really my only connection. I've never been to the state of Arkansas. I've never heard about it, seen it. I have all the stereotypes in my mind of thinking of what Arkansas might involve. But at the same time, everybody, literally everybody has raved about how gorgeous Arkansas is. So I'm kind of fired up about that. So that's kind of where we're at. We're going to go to Arkansas and I'll have an update on that. And uh, I'm looking forward to it because I've heard such great things about it. You know, I think we touched on this last podcast, and maybe we could put this out to our lovely fans um, on the Bleacher Blums network of, you know, communication. So, right, we can get um, at Blummer on both Instagram and Twitter, at Blummer27, myself, at Real David Tuttle, Instagram, Twitter. We also have our BleacherBlums.com webpage, and uh, you can find Bleacher Blums short hops and everything else on YouTube. So, um, what I was going to say about that is, uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit, is I want my kids to go to where a school or maybe, you know, we could go to the football games. I think you you mentioned mm-hmm. that last time, like Santa Clara gave up their football program my second year there. Cal's football program, probably since, you know, Marshawn Lynch and uh, and Aaron Rodgers hasn't really, <laughs> I guess Jared Goff counts, but hasn't really had, you know, they'll get the prospect here, kind of similar, you know, in the baseball realm, but mm-hmm. not the uh, collective, you know, they're not in the hunt for the Pac-12. They're usually, you know, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, or 10th, somewhere in there. Oof. And uh, and I think that would be so great. My my son is similar to what you thought. Um, he's a junior, so he's looking at schools and already. But I think he does want to stay in California. And I said, man, you should look at Texas, like Blummer's kids, and you know they're looking in Texas schools and they like it. And maybe part of it is because you know that's your environment now. All your friends that are you know your daughters are in school with are looking at schools in Texas. It just for some reason seems to be out of the realm or the normal realm to look elsewhere. But I'm glad to hear your daughter's looking at Arkansas. Um, I had a friend out here. His daughter went to Alabama, and you start looking at Alabama oh, wow. and Arkansas and Notre Dame. Like some of these schools, you're like, mm-hmm. damn, if I could get one of my kids to go there, <laughs> I'm going to be a honk. You, I'm going to be a honk. I'm going to f- buy a jersey, and I'm going to find a, like a Ron Paulus or a Rick Meyer jersey and wear it around <laughs> wear it around South Bend, Indiana. <laughs> like like to Meyer. Like, yeah, but uh, like – I'm just saying, like, it's been part of my blood the whole time, yep. you know? I mean, I'm waiting for that moment. So we'll see. I mean, I got to, you know, a, a, whatever, three kids, you know, they're going to go somewhere. Maybe they all won't stay in California. So I yeah. appreciate it, and it's cool. And I think Arkansas, your brother might be able to tell her, obviously, it's a good athletic school, but I think all those schools have a really good reputation, um, even academically. Yeah. No, they've been very good, and and to her credit too. And uh, you know, uh, you always want your kids to kind of succeed a little bit and reap the benefits. And what and I, I'm the one that actually gets to reap the benefit because out of state tuition, you know, is around twenty five thousand. But when you had good grades like she did, she gets a kickback and got about ten grand off that in a scholarship. So. I am very fired up for her. I'm very curious to see what it is. And I'm like, Tuttle, man, I will jump on that bandwagon in a heartbeat and find somebody to cheer for and start screaming, woo, pig, suey at everything. But it's fin- it's funny you bring up Santa Clara because you went to the University of Santa Clara. We talked about their football program last uh, last podcast. I, Unbeknownst to me, I have been hanging around a Santa Clara University football alum 
right down here in Houston, and he is one of the more beloved athletes of all of Houston, Dan Pastorini, former quarterback of the Houston Oilers during their heyday with Earl Campbell. So we had an event the other day, and I show up, you know, Ed Too Tall Jones is floating around. Uh, Rick Barry came flying by me. I'm like, what is going on? All of these big name guys, but the two guys that got the most attention in that in this event were Dan Pastorini, who was hanging around me and TK the whole night, and then Earl Campbell. So I mean, I had no idea that Santa Clara University cranked out Dan Pastorini, a legend and still a a beautiful human being right now. He's one of the best guys I've I've met down here in Houston. He's been a blast. Did you know that? I did, and I've yeah. met him before at some sort of function. But I think you're right. I think you know the when they talk about the native son. I think Santa Clara is way in his rearview mirror. Um, but you know because he played for the Oilers for so long, and you know was a figure down there. I'm sure he's just kind of adopted Houston and Houston lore. But yeah, one of the best Houston Oilers. I did not know Pastorini went to Santa Clara when I was choosing that as my institution of higher learning. That wasn't the reason, but you know we can name it on a few on a on one hand, right? Dave Tuttle doesn't make the hand of five, but there's Steve Nash, Kurt Rambis, um, Dan Pastorini. Ooh. I think Randy Doug Wynn. Cosby, Doug Cosby, and Brent Jones, both tight ends for the Niners. Oh, uh, well, some Doug good Cosby football a, players. You're right about the program going defunct. It was kind of a shame, man. Yeah, I mean, it was Division Two, but like you said, I mean, you start naming if you have any guys like you find that, some you gems know? down there, though. I mean, you yeah. can even talk about it to this day. There's some guys in that Division Two that step up and play. Yeah. But it's just kind of crazy yeah, when you start naming those guys off. So, yeah, I don't make the hand of five, but, you know, you got Nash, Rambus, Doug Cosby, Brent Jones, Dan Pastorini. Who did you just name? Who was it? If, if, if Randy Alphonse, Wynn, is that what if, you said? Yeah. yeah. If Alfonseca, you remember the pitcher Alfonseca? <laughs> yeah, Alfonseca yes. His nickname was Pupo, which That's was octopus because right. he had this like little yeah. digit down here that was kind of hanging Six fingers, out. baby. Yeah. You could have been the El Pupo. You could have <laughs> been that guy. You would have been the sixth finger on the hand. <laughs> You're supposed to have my back. You're supposed to say, "Oh, well, you could have got Doug Cosby out of there, Brent Jones, but no, I'm the I'm the what is it? Pulpo? El Pulpo. Yeah, El the, Pulpo. the octopus. Yeah. Oh, I remember him, man. The six finger changeup, man. He was Dude, he was that deadly. That thing was just wicked, man. Yeah, there you go. So anyway, well, that's cool. Yeah, Dan Pastorini, um, a solid human being. Everything you've said, we've talked about him briefly before, but yeah. Um, you know, I'm, like I said, the, the, the program, the football program is now defunct. So I'm looking, I mean, I got a little more time than you do, but I'm looking for some sort of bandwagon to jump on. So, Hey, maybe if your daughter goes to Arkansas, you know, I'll I'll wear an Arkansas hat and shirt around. I don't care. I I will send you a shirt and it will be, it will be glorious having you screaming whoo pig suey from the West coast. It'll drive our producer Mark nuts. I think he's a UH Cougar. So, Maybe one of your daughters goes to UH. Yeah. (laughs) He's still hanging around Andre Ware and his Heisman Trophy back in like 85 or whatever it was. I have no idea. Ramos probably knows what that is. But uh, we can move on a little bit after uh, glory days for Santa Clara football. But uh, we are into the offseason. And this is probably one of the more interesting times that we get into. And just kind of that hot stove is kind of kindling a little bit. You're starting to light that flame. But of course, everything's going to, it, it's going to be a cautious offseason, I believe. And Tuttle actually brought this up in our little pre-production meeting because I was hung up on talking about all the gold glovers, the platinum gloves, the uh, the qualifying offers, the free agent offers, and some of the, th- some of the moving parts for the Houston Astros. And you brought up the CBA. And I don't know if we want to talk about this and kind of tease it a little bit because this is kind of the beginning stage. And I've done some interviews in the last week or so where I've actually been approached with the question about the CBA. So let me try and set this up 
in the sense that December 1st was probably a really good time to talk about it because December 1st, mark that date on your calendar if you're a a big-time baseball fan because that is when the CBA, the Collective Bargaining Agreement, is finished with uh, between Major League Baseball and the owners. So when that date hits and they do not have an agreement, don't panic if you hear the terms lockout or strike. Because either way, it, it really doesn't mean much. It's just terminology, and it's just idle threats at the time. It really doesn't mean anything until you get to spring training and games and, and, and report dates actually start to happen. And if they do lock the players out and they can't get into their clubhouses, then you have yourself an official lockout. But from December 1st to maybe February 1st, just kind of pump the brakes a little bit and understand that a lot of terminology is going to come out trying to make each side look really bad. So what we have right here is an opportunity for the for the owners to negotiate and the players to negotiate. Yes, it's going to involve rules, but I think, Tuttle, and I want you to jump in here, is I think it's going to be a little bit more about service time, arbitration, player, you know, player minimum salaries, and free agent years. When can you get to that free agent year? Because currently as it stands, you have to uh, go through the process of three years of pretty pretty just uh, predetermined contracts, three years of arbitration, and then you get to the free agency. And I think that's where a majority of the issue is going to be on the player's side. What say you, David Tuttle? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I'm looking up here at my bookshelf and the uh, whole different ball game with by Marvin Miller sitting right above my head. And I think Look at you. the topics Hall that you Famer. just- There you go. The topics you just listed though, I mean, if you go back to the 1960s and then the 70s and 80s, those are the same topics, at least from a player's perspective. Um, I guess from an owner's perspective too, because those are the, you know, that's where the dollars are. So, but yeah, I, that's when I, the money starts flowing. But what frustrates me, and I think this is why we're ho- hopefully, you know, have a lot of listeners to this podcast and they understand the pump the brakes comment. But the the God's honest truth is that, I mean, they do have from December 1st until essentially, I mean, probably the end of spring training if they're making progress, like you said, like contracts and things like that. I mean, they'll just make their own decisions, but why can't they get this stuff done? Like, why does there always have to be a deadline? Like, like we, you know, (laughs) we're going to, like you said, we're going to hear stuff in the press. I mean, we could write these notes. I could write down the four things that are going to be said. So (laughs) the owners said that blah, 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 you know, and we did find out when the Mariners president got let go after having a few too many pops at that, at that, um, at that function. Diarrhea of the mouth. That's right. But, you know, he was talking about, you know, the same thing Chris Bryant went through and Boris always makes a big deal about, which is the service time, right? They're going to keep a prospect down so they can extend that and then the free agency. And so, I mean, these are the topics, not only of the day or the topics of the time, but I mean, this is where the players want a little more chunk of doing the 162 days of labor that they do. And the owners want, you know, a bigger, bigger take of that too. And so it, you know, anytime it comes down to dollars and cents, they're going to be some mean words. <laughs> they're going to be some harsh words. This is a little aside, but Boris made some publicity a couple of weeks ago talking about, um, talking about the tanking in the major, in major league baseball, which is I've heard other players anybody. say that too. It kind of popped up a little bit. Yeah, which, I mean, like real tanking. Like, I mean, I just thought, and I have a topic maybe for the next podcast about how, um, you know, now the Rams need it with Robert Woods, but I thought it was really interesting how the Rams yeah. are kind of taking a um, a Major League Baseball approach to the NFL, which is we've had this conversation prior, um, which is known commodities, 
known commodities versus draft picks, right? That was baseball mm-hmm. always like, hey, I'll take an all-star. I'm going to trade for a Mookie Betts yeah. and give up these guys, these high school college guys. Well, in you know the the agreement in the NFL is a little bit different because they have salary caps and all this, but the Rams are like, hey, we'll take OBJ. Oh, we'll mm-hmm. take uh, Von Miller. We'll grab these guys because we'll give up these draft picks because we don't know what they're going to turn into. And I thought that was an interesting you know, topic, like I said, maybe for another day. But back to the the the... You know, the collective bargaining agreement, I think you said it right at the beginning, which is pump the brakes, everybody. Let's not worry about a lockout or a strike yet. Um, there could be con- some contention, as there always is. But I think both sides typically want something to change. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I think what you said at the beginning is great. Now, I'm going to throw it back at you, which is mm-hmm. what do you think the big hangups are going to be? Because you mentioned all the topics, and I, you know, I'm looking at Marvin Miller's book. I mean, those are the same five, six topics that are always part of this yeah. service time, um, you know, eligibility for free agency, like, you know, arbitration, those kind of things. But where is going to be the sticking point? I mean, is it going to be like minimum salary? Typically not. But, uh, you know, is there going to be one or two things that you think are going to make or break this uh, negotiation? So the biggest thing, and I always, I, I look at this all the time from a player's perspective. Now, from an owner's perspective. As we should. And an owner's perspective is all about dollars and cents. How much money can they put in their pocket? Because we know that these industries, these sports industries, have turned into $10 billion industries. And we also know that last offseason that the Major League Baseball signed a $500-plus billion deal with TNT or TBS or somebody. So there's money coming in. So it is paramount that games are on TV. So both sides need to understand after the COVID crisis, keep that fresh in your mind, because I know that these guys are too. 2020, they missed time. They lost money. They're trying to recoup the money and continue to make money and grow the business. So I think that even though there's going to be some disagreements, I think both sides have that in their in their target, that they do not want to miss any baseball. But at the same time, they want to be able to protect themselves moving forward because you know, these CBAs can be long-term. It could be something that you continue to extend if it's a good enough agreement between both. But I think the players are understanding that the game is getting younger. The middle the middle class of, of baseball is getting pushed out. Those guys that make five to $10 million maybe are becoming extinct because that major league minimum is getting closer to 600,000. So if I'm an owner and I've got this crusty, salty old utility player who might be a five to $7 million range, but I've got this young man that I'm going to have control of for the next six years. I'm going to take the guy that I can control for the next six years instead of wasting my money on this guy. So I think that's kind of where the shift has become. And I think that's where players are kind of understanding with the game getting younger, you need to make your money younger. And the earning window, again, if you work for Chevrolet or some of these other companies that are long-term, or at least that was the idea, I know it's it's a little bit different these days, was to work for a company for 30 years, get your, uh, you know, get your pension watch and go home and retire. In baseball, you can't do that. I think the the earning window is is here. The longevity of a player's career might be here. So say you want to play for 10 years, maximize your pension, maximize your benefits, make the most money you can in 10 years so that you can afford a lifestyle to retire in, the average yearly career is down to maybe three or four years. So you've got to find a way to earn as much as you can in those three or four years or potentially you know, get as much money as you can early. And I think that's where the issue is going to be is when, how fast do they speed that clock up? 
Is it two years of a, of a salary and then go into arbitration for two years and go to free agency after four years? I think that's what's going to be the sticking point. But the big arbitration thing is Arbitration four versus six, you're saying, right? Yeah. Like, Instead of being a free, yeah. becoming a free agent after six years, you can become a free agent after four years. I yep. think that's where players might be pushing. I don't know if they'll get it to that short of an amount of time, but uh, I think that's where it's at. I think that is going to be the bulk of it. And Keep in mind also, they're trying to, players are always trying to protect those guys that are coming into the league. They're trying to protect, literally, this is their idea. And this is why every other union in sports looks at Major League Baseball and goes, damn, these guys are, they're strong as hell. They hold the line, they get what they want. But they try and protect the, the player that's coming, the guys in the minor leagues. When they get to the big leagues, they want them protected and compensated. They also want the current state of the game to, to be wealthy for the players and help them earn their market value. And something that doesn't get talked about a lot, and you might actually hear it a little bit in this, uh, in this CBA, is protecting guys that have played. And a lot of it has to do with maximizing the pension laws and things like that and extending benefits towards those guys, making them affordable enough to where you can, after you've sacrificed your, your body and your career, for that brief amount of time in Major League Baseball, you're protected after you play. Baseball's done a very good job at that, and that's one thing that we have continued to fight for between the Alumni Association and the current association is to protect those guys who who, who serve their time and maybe didn't get to that 10 years, but protect them a little bit and make uh, their pension and compensation a little bit better down the road because you, know, you and I both know as well as anybody, the transition from playing to not playing, it can be extremely tough. And I think that's what they're trying to protect is those guys who don't have the opportunity after baseball. But those are the sticking points for me. Um, I think underlying and what will get exposed is the major issue is the players don't respect Rob Manfred. And I don't think Rob Manfred gives a shit about mm. players. I will say that here. I know that may not be... Mm. Uh, copacetic with everything, but I really think there is a, there's a strong divide between Manfred and the Players Association. Well, and I think that you're willing to say that probably you have your ear to the ground and you know a bunch of guys and, you know, it you could also be personal you, too. <laughs> yeah. You, you, well, no, I mean, you know how you feel based on, you know, what you see. And like you said, always looking at it from a player's perspective. I don't know if I've paid attention to it that much. I have two things. One is, you know, that's why it's a negotiation, the six year versus four year, maybe they end at five years, right? So now you get free agency yeah. of five years and everybody's happy in the middle. Um, the other thing is when I was with the Cincinnati Reds, and drafted. I remember Marge Schott was the owner, but every year they were claiming, you know, their payroll was higher than the money they took in. So I remember they were always claiming a loss, yet when they bought the Cincinnati Reds for five million and sold it for five hundred million, you know, is it really a loss? And so I think that's where the funny math comes in. And I think as a player, you know, when you go back way before, you know, even the Players Association and Marvin Miller, you know, I mean, the owners have always reaped the benefits. Now, again, they're putting in the risk. It's their capital. It's their this. But we know now that sports franchise, I mean, we're just talking about, it's almost like buying real estate. We're just talking about it appreciating over time. Yes. And that's where you're making your dollars. This isn't a, well, my payroll is 200 million and we only took in 180 million this year. We're down 20 million. It's not quite that simple. And I think that's where they always have, yep. you know, kind of these arguments and negotiations. <laughs> Go ahead. No, it's, 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 it's something I've been hearing recently is like the realized gains as opposed to the unrealized gains. They're, right. they're, they're talking about 
their their idea of quote unquote realized losses. And I guarantee, you know, last year, of course, 2020, they had the losses. Yeah. But to Tuttle's point, it's the unrealized gains that they're getting by holding on to this team for year after year because it's exponential how how the value of these teams is growing year over year. Right. And if you look at last year, so the COVID year is probably the only year they've ever lost any sort of revenue, significant revenue. And that does, you know, it's kind of like being a slumlord, right? If you own this, like, (laughs) if you own these 10 commercial properties and your rents go down and you lose someone, but you've had them for 50 years, you've been making money, you know, and now you lose a couple tenants and now you got to put a new roof and paint the place. That's a year you take a hit, but it's the same thing here. It's not going to make you go broke. And I think that that's where, you know, again, how we look at it and how the negotiation starts to go, you can always start looking under the hood. And as you said, if it's Rob Manfred, whether it be animosity towards him or the fact that these owners have made so much money and exponential, um, you know, year over year growth, then, you know, you're going to see some, maybe some venom and some, and, and some kind of, uh, maybe more contentious negotiations. So I think it's a good place to uh, take a break for uh, our Blue Wire pod podcast network. And uh, let's hear what the commercial, uh, the commercials have to say, and we'll be right back. The best way to learn a language, immersion, living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts that help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. All right, thanks to our sponsors, and we're back here on the Bleacher Blums podcast, and we're going to jump from... I guess the the collective bargaining agreement to what many of you tune in for, which is the latest Astro news with our favorite master of banter from the Astros, Blummer. So, Blummer, how's the uh, how's the off season started down there? As you said, the hot stove starting to, I don't know, simmer is the wrong word, but the coals, the embers are starting to to light up. Mm-hmm. What's going on? Yeah, some of the heat's going up. There's a couple of uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about qualifying offers and the offer made to Carlos Correa. But real quick, I want to just hit on that some of the awards are starting to come in. Uh, you know, they've got Rookie of the Years, they've got Silver Sluggers, they've got uh, you know AL Batting Champs. So Yuli won the AL Batting Championship. We knew that going in, but a lot of the concern and question was around his glove. Would he be able to uh, achieve a gold glove status at the age of 37? And guess what? He was phenomenal on both sides of the field, winning the AL batting title and becoming a gold glove winner. So congratulations to Yuli Gurriel at the age of 37, becoming that gold glove first baseman after breaking into the league and playing much of his Cuban career at third base. So kind of a credit to his athleticism and ability to adapt and adjust. And obviously that's been a benefit to guys around the diamond. And right across the way at shortstop, Carlos Correa finally got his gold glove. He deserved it in 2020, 
earned it in 2021. It's just kind of ironic. The timing of everything with Carlos Correa becoming a free agent and starting to get all these accolades. And I think it kind of shows the kind of shows how the league is starting to think about some of these guys and some of that some of that stain from 2017 maybe starting to go away, allowing these guys to go out and win some of these awards and be honored for as good as athletes as they are. And much like Tuttle back in the day when he would go out clubbing, you know, a lot of us would just go to the standard gold champagne room. There is now the platinum champagne room where Tuttle would hang out, and that's where the gold glove has gone. There are now the platinum glove awards, and I know Tuttle's smiling right here, shaking his head, going, man, I hope my mom's not listening to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But that's just a joke, just a a ball comment right there. But uh, Carlos Correa has won the platinum glove, and I guess that's better than the gold glove. And the Astros have won the platinum award for the best defensive team in Major League Baseball. So a lot of things moving in the right direction for Carlos Correa and the Astros finally getting some accolades for being as good as they are. Uh, Tuttle, talk to us a little bit about what you think about uh, 37-year-old winning the gold glove and then Carlos Correa getting the invitation into the platinum room. Yeah, you know I, the platinum and gold thing is is really funny to me. I mean, I guess they they you know they do the percentages like fielding percentage and all those other items. And I guess if you're in the top five percent or two percent, you get a gold glove. And then they got to pick somebody to be the best. So um, I think it's the most interesting thing to me that jumps off the page is that. Um, I think historically we talk about pitching and defense wins championships and we know the Astros have been a really good ball club for you know at least the last 5 years but they're known for hitting and their defense the fact that Yuli won a gold glove and Carlos wins the platinum glove is uh pretty significant. I mean I think when Bregman's healthy he's in that category as well. And so you know you have a really strong team obviously but I think what's amazing is uh, you know, the first thing I think of with the Astros is their formidable lineup. And now you're looking like, no wonder they win so many games. It's because their defense is solid. Um, and then, you know, with the Cuban players, it's always interesting to me because I played against mm-hmm. Cuban guys. We've told stories on here before. Um, Vic Rojas told us great yeah. stories about their passion for the game. It's been awesome. <laughs> That's exactly right. I was going to say when we had Vic on. Yeah. Um, it was, it, it's so true because, you know, 37 seems old to us. But, you know, I mean, you got to figure that Yuli's been playing baseball his whole entire life. He finally made it over here. He's making a living doing this thing that, you know, he never probably thought he would have the opportunity to do. And, you know, I mean, he he found the fountain of youth like a lot of these guys do because, you know, the alternative is is not great. So, I mean, I'm sure he takes really good care of himself and, you know, he put a lot of time and energy into his craft to, I don't think he came up as a first baseman. So, um, he certainly has, uh, has, uh, made his mark. And as you pointed out last podcast, he's going to be back in uh, Houston next year. And, um, it's probably great to have him, have him back, you know, gold Glover and a batting champion. I mean, at 37 years old, who knew? And you're, and you're only paying him $8 million. So, I mean, this guy's a bit of a bargain, but he loves it here in Houston. He's done a great job. Obviously, he's a fan favorite. And, you know, to Tuttle's point, the, the, the Cuban baseball player, even though they have a little bit of that flash and that swag about them, I mean, these guys, once you get near them, are some of the purest human beings and appreciate being here in, in the major leagues. And he's definitely one of them. And with his option being picked up, that's one less thing that the Astros have to think about this offseason. They do have a couple of things, and a lot of there's only two names that really start getting tossed around when you start to talk about that hot stove, or you tar- start to talk about free agency, or who's going to come back, or who you would want to come back. And when I see fans, whether it be at the Houston Open or 
just going down and picking up barbecue. Somebody's always asking, what about JV, Justin Verlander? What about Carlos Correa? Is he coming back? You know, what's the situation with that? So let's take Justin Verlander just to, to start things off because maybe a couple more thoughts on Carlos Correa because we have a little bit more knowledge about him. But we literally haven't seen Justin Verlander in a year. He was recovering from Tommy John surgery, only pitched one game on that two-year $66 million contract. And he is now up for free agency because that contract is expired. That being said, the, off, the Astros have offered him or extended him a qualifying offer. Now, the qualifying offer is interesting just because it is a set number. It's basically like the franchise tag in the NFL. It is a, it is a one-year contract for $18.4 million, so a substantial amount of money, especially for a guy who is recovering from Tommy John surgery. And that might be a nice annual value of a contract for a guy like Justin who's trying to get back in and it's a one-year deal to kind of go out there and prove himself. There's also protection on that on the Astros' side. If Justin Verlander does decide to go and leave because of free agency, the Astros are protected, and if he does leave with that qualifying offer coming off the table, the Astros will get a supplemental pick. So they will add another pick to their uh, arsenal when they go into the next draft. But that being said, Justin Verlander threw down in Florida, threw to 20 scouts, was right around mid-90s with his fastball, and I think that was a lot of the curiosity. And this being the first time that he's actually thrown, quote-unquote, competitively for, for fans or for scouts, I think it's kind of encouraging that he's in the mid-90s, proves that he's a freak of nature and might be able to bounce back from this injury this late in his career. But uh, Tuttle, what are your thoughts on Justin Verlander? I think that if he does not accept the qualifying offer, the, any offer he gets going forward may have a lower annual value and a, lot of, and a higher incentive. So there might be a higher ceiling if he does leave this, but the guaranteed money is tough to turn down. You would think so, especially depending on he's comfortable in Houston and where he wants to go. Um, so I, I did a little digging because we knew it was franchise tag. So the the qualifying offer is based on the top. Uh, it's a mean salary number of the top 125 paid players in baseball. Mm -hmm. So they just take the mean of the top 125 players. That's 18.4 million this year. Like you said, it changes every year, but it's a flat fee. So obviously as annual salaries go up for players, then you know obviously the qualifying offer number uh, continues to creep up. But I think to your point, so he was two years 66, so he's making about 30 million. 18.4 is close. And like you said, to prove he's healthy and to stay here, I mean, you're right. It's going to be hard for teams to, you know, no matter how many scouts watched him, I guess, unless you want to put him on a championship team, you got to figure somebody's going to probably do a like an incentive laden contract, you know, something like, hey, we'll give you, you know, eight million with the opportunity to make 20 or 22 based on starts, mm -hmm. innings, pitch, something like that. So it'll be really interesting. You know, nobody knows his agent and his family probably know what he's thinking. But, uh, you know, a one-year deal to prove you're healthy might get him two more in the back end if he really still wants to play. So I just don't know enough about his personal stuff or off-season stuff. But, you know, I got to think that $18 million to go to a team that went to the World Series, you know, three out of four years. You're I already mean, on a winning team, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and you're going to add to that. So McCullers can come back healthy. Um, yeah. The young guys, you can, you know, Luis Garcia and those guys, like you said, if Yimmy comes back and, you know, and our, our buddy, Meton, Icewater. I mean, yeah. like, you, yeah, and Presley, like, you could really have a, a, a much stronger pitching staff. And I mean, as an outsider, I don't know what the scuttlebutt is. I don't know what he's thinking. He obviously threw like a free agent type thing. It seems like a really good place to go and a really good opportunity for him. But, 
you know, I don't know what you're hearing. I know people are asking you, but what, I mean, do you think the same thing? I'm in thing? the same boat. No, yeah. I mean, he's down in Florida and unless you're really tight with Justin Verlander, you're not going to hear anything, you know, and yeah. everything's going to be cryptic that you see on Twitter or yeah. uh, in some of these interviews. But I just think it's interesting that they did extend that offer because they do want him to come back. And I think that that's part of the, in the enticing part about it is the fact that you can come back to a winning team. You're already on in this clubhouse. You understand how Houston works and you know they're going to be competitive in the West. The only thing is, you know, I think that other teams out there and I'll just go ahead and say it right now. I think Detroit, you know, they just signed Eduardo Rodriguez away from the Boston Red Sox with a five-year, $77 million contract, which, I, which is right around a $15, $16 million a year base. You know, would Justin Verlander take a similar contract just to go back to Detroit where he's very comfortable too? I think that's kind of the sneaky underlying is, you know, can he use this qualifying offer to leverage maybe another team who really wants him to come back? And I know that there's been a lot of chatter in Detroit he played for A.J. Hinch, who is now the manager in Detroit, so that's going to have something to do with it. The other guy that got the qualifying offer for the Houston Astros is probably the biggest free agent in this offseason, no matter what the CBA is doing, Carlos Correa. And I think the assumption there is to protect for the Astros to protect themselves with that supplemental pick, because guess what? For Carlos Correa to accept this offer would half the entire league would have to shut down and not offer him anything and the fact of the matter is is he's going to get an offer and to that point the Astros have offered him five years 160 million and that was about a 32 million dollars a year and when we were talking before this podcast started I think you summed it up beautifully and I want you to do it again if you can recall what you said about this contract because it's much safer when when Tuttle says these things, as opposed to when I say these things, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I would just say don't don't um, don't challenge the intelligence of even the 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 most um, kind of not fervent baseball fan. What do I want to say? Like just the most like the <laughs> don't challenge the intelligence of of humans by saying, all right, we made him an offer of five year one sixty when we know. Um, you know, the Machados of the world and the Tatis Juniors Francisco are we're talking. Lindors, yes, you're right. Yeah, I mean, yep. we're at the 300 range. I mean, Carlos Correa has proven with his platinum glove and everything else he's done prior, <laughs> he's, you know, one of the top five players in baseball. So let's look at Trout salary. Let's look at Tatis. I mean, yes, the average annual value at 32 is probably in the range, but these guys were talking like eight, you know, eight to 10 years, and we're talking 280 to 320, maybe even more. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, don't, don't as Houston, his, you know, Jim Crane and, you know, everybody else that's involved in it, you know, don't challenge the intelligence of even the, the, uh, the slightest baseball fan by telling us that, well, you went after Correa because as you said, I mean, the 18.4 is not going to get it done. You have to do that for the, uh, for the uh, supplemental pick in the future. But Mm -hmm. if you really want to get in the ballpark, like let's, I don't know. I mean, just, you know, start at eight to 10 years, you know, and 280 and see what's going to happen. But well, I think that there's two options, and I think Tuttle's right. To your point, you give the years. You say, okay, yeah. we do want you for seven or eight years. I think, you know, if I, you know, if you, I know he's a little older, that's why. Well, he's only 27, 28. I think he's only yeah. 27, to be honest with okay. you. So I think, yeah. you know, he, you know, it's not out of the realm to say that he might, you know, I think his idea, you know, in watching, like Tuttle is saying, you got to watch other contracts around the league. Uh, you know, the Tatises, the Bryce Harpers, you know, some of these guys that get these 10-year deals. I think that Carlos is looking at his age and going, why can't I get seven to 10 years? 
Because at 10 years, he's going to be the same age as Yuli Gurriel, who just won an American League batting title. I was just going to say. Kind of an interesting negotiation right there, right? So if you're not going to give him the years, and this is just me, you know, playing armchair GM, uh, if you're not going to give him the years and you pull back on the years and say you you only want to give him a five-year contract, then blow up the annual value. Say, I mean, try and lose his mind. Try and blow his mind. Say five years, two hundred million. Yeah, two hundred million. Say forty million annual average salary. We'll we'll do that for you, Carlos, because we want you to stay here so bad. We don't want to give you the ten years. We'll cut it in half and cut the value in half, but we'll still make you the highest paid player per year when you're on this contract. And then all of a sudden, you kind of he you know he turns around and goes, "Hey, man, that's a pretty good deal over the next five years to really maximize my earning." Yeah. And I think what it also does is if you do kind of blow it out in that sense is you force another team to you know maybe overshoot the landing to try and bring him in. So if you do lose a Carlos Correa, at least you say, I gave him a boatload of money and somebody else had to get above it to get him away from us. Right. You know, so you kind of save your integrity a little bit by doing something like that. But uh, I think as it stands right now with that offer, Carlos Correa is looking at the the length of the contract as far as years. I think you're right on that. Yeah, you know, there's only really two pieces to it, right? You can talk about, well, he gets a suite on the road or they fly his family out and all those little <laughs> yeah. things. Like nobody really cares about that. There's years and there's dollars. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not going to go years, go dollars. And if you're not going to go dollars, go years and get close. So like I said, you're, you know, you're you're really challenging the intelligence of even the even the slightest baseball fan to say, all right, we're going to offer him five years, 160. I mean, that I can just tell you, I don't even know Carlos at all. I mean, that's not getting it done. And there's a, you know, and there's a lot of reasons behind that. We talked about the players' association and the negotiation. I mean, you're not going to do a hometown deal for half the half the going rate. I mean, you wouldn't be allowed to do that. And that was yeah, the other thing. I don't care thing. what the tax rate is down here. You're not going to be able to do that. No, that's right. Even <laughs> hey, we're going to sell you on the tax rate. Well, no, that's not part of this either. You know, I I didn't mention this uh, uh, before, but we talked about the collective bargaining agreement and the years to free agency. That's the other thing when you're talking about the top 50 players in baseball. The trend now has been to sign an, sign an early deal. And I mm-hmm. thought we didn't talk about that. That that was interesting because these guys want the earning. You know, Carlos is not in that position. I just thought. That was another little thing that hadn't happened before because the owners had such a stronghold on free agency and all this stuff is like, hey, now we're going to get extra years at maybe a lesser average annual value, but I can take care of my family. And as you said, I could retire, um, you know, being one of the top 50 players in baseball, guys that go year to year and guys that do other things like you and myself. We don't really have that opportunity as we... uh, as we've touched on before, but I just thought we, we, I forgot to mention that before when we were talking about the negotiation, that that's a new kind of, um, I don't know, it's kind of a new strategy in, in this whole mm-hmm. realm of everything. But, uh, but yeah, I just, you know, I, I thought you brought up Detroit for, um, for Verlander for a couple of good reasons. AJ Hinch is the manager and, you know, they want to spend some money and they certainly want to turn it around and it has a rich history. Um, your gut says what about Carlos Correa if we don't change the years and the, the, the volume? I mean, Yankees or like, what does your gut say? Oh my gosh, dude, if he signs with the Yankees, the Yankee fan base better be ready for some hypocritical tweets coming their way because all they <laughs> yeah, do is yeah. bash everybody that wears a Houston Astro uniform. Yeah. And now you're starting to see glimpses of of the reality that the, like, oh, Carlos Correa could be our shortstop. Yeah, that'd be great. So but that's just the fans, though. Like Brian Cashman doesn't have anything to do with that. He might be Cashman like, doesn't you know, give a shit about what the fans are thinking. He that's knows what that he's going to make their team better. 
Right. That's what I'm saying. So does Carlos overlook all of the stuff that was said to him and about, you know, I mean, it's a very that's interesting. A, but that's the thing. That's what Carlos is going to have to consider. He's like, can I overlook everything that was thrown at me from this fan base yeah. and now expect them to cheer for me? That's yeah. a great question. Yeah, I, I mean, think that, that has to be in the equation too, because they booed, the New York Yankees booed Garrett Cole off the mound a couple of times. Yeah, no, I know. And and Garrett Cole, by the way, wasn't part of that. First of all, he wasn't a hitter. And second of all, he wasn't there during that time. You know, what's crazy uh, about that is um, I think we can start if we had a checklist of the teams, like the Padres are not going to sign Carlos Correa. So that's good. That's off the table, right? Tatis, mm-hmm. Machado, they got plenty of money spent over there. Uh, Snell, oh, they got all those guys. If he goes to the Dodgers, oh, God. Ugh. But oh yeah, well they they might lose Corey Seager and they have a payroll problem too. So I just, mm-hmm. I mean it, it, you know. So Brandon Crawford has another year. It'd be really interesting if Brandon, you know, I got to throw my Giants mm-hmm. in there. Um, yeah. They typically don't do that. If Posey stayed on and Crawford retired, we would have been an interesting uh, off season. But I don't think yeah, because they've probably got plenty of money to spend. Yeah, I think yeah. uh, my dark horse, and this might be just wishful thinking, if he doesn't go to the Astros, is like St. Louis. Could you imagine? I think St. Louis has enough money on their books and enough young guys, uh, and they they basically stole Arenado from the Colorado Rockies, who were picking up a massive portion of his salary. Yeah. And I think Goldschmidt has a, 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 a team friendly type contract too. But if you could slam Carlos Correa in, in its shortstop, oh yeah. my gosh, the St. Louis Cardinals. Woo, well, yeah, doggy. especially as their staff gets healthy, right? Flaherty was hurt. Yeah. And had a couple of their bullpen guys get hurt. I mean, I mm-hmm. think the, the Cardinals, I mean, they, they're they like the old, you know, the the cliche is they don't they don't rebuild, they reload. I mean, the Cardinals just every, <laughs> yeah. they just always seem they to be in the mix. every year. Every year. And I just love the, I mean, we've talked about it here before. The A's and the Cardinals are always the teams you're jealous of. It just always mm-hmm. seems so loose and easy. But, man, they... They are, yeah. If they if they end up getting into the sweepstakes, it's fine. I, I think it is interesting because, you know, when A Rod signed, I think it says a lot about his character because you know how much we love A Rod on this podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, he was with the Texas Rangers, like yay, and the yeah, Seattle the Mariners, like sucked, and they had I'm going to take the money. Like Carlos Correa could certainly go be the cornerstone in Texas. That's a possibility. You know? The Rangers are in the mix. Yeah, you, yeah, you're right about that. It could be very similar. I saw that, but it's like you know what, Carlos just does not. He's he seems from the outside, again, you know him better than I, he just seems like he has too much competitive drive and too much intelligence. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about 10 or $20 million on the front end or a back end of like an eight to 10 year deal, it's not worth it. So I just think, like you said, uh, we've had a couple of um, off the air. I I looked at the guys who made the most money in baseball, right? And A-Rod's up there, but he took you know, he did two deals with teams that were just horrible. Like, yeah, yeah, you're in mm-hmm. last place, but you're winning all the awards, you know? The Jason Conti Award. <laughs> That's hilarious. He, You know, Jason Conti, he gets more pub on this podcast for probably not he ever, ever hearing has. about it listening. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so anyway. His playing career. <laughs> you, know who des- you know who deserves a lot of pub? And this kind of popped up. This will be probably the last thing we talk about before we get out of here on this podcast, uh, is that uh, we were right. We had no idea we were right until we were right. <laughs> That's kind of the beauty of the podcast is being able to make some of these bold predictions and have ideas. But a lot of what we do here on the Bleacher Blums is kind of go with that player gut instinct type of thing. And when we did that World Series recap uh, podcast, we kind of mentioned the fact that we're, you know, at the end of the season, you start to hear about, we already knew Lance McCullers Jr. was injured with his right forearm. But we, you start to see the way things are unfolding and the way guys are moving on the field. And you kind of go, something just isn't right with that guy. And we, we kind of mentioned that, you know, there might be something going on 
with Alex Bregman because, you know, the, the swing wasn't there, the lower body wasn't moving right, things were going a little weird. And it turns out that he had right wrist surgery maybe a week after the World Series was over. So kudos to Tuttle and I, a little golf clap here on this Houston Open weekend. We awesome. guessed right, and uh, sources confirmed, Alex Bregman confirmed, yeah. uh, through Instagram that he did have right wrist surgery, will be ready for spring training. But uh, way to go, Tuttle, that that yeah. that player gut instinct manager GM style of stuff that we've got going on here kind of nice. came to fruition. So good for you, man. Yeah, we'll take credit for it. I was listening to MLB <laughs> radio, and they said something, and then Blummer, you nodded along. So yeah, no, but you're right. You do have that instinct, and I always, uh, the instinct, and you always you want to follow your gut. But I think... Uh, you know, if I ever struggle on this podcast or anything, you'll see me getting throat surgery and be like, yeah, yeah, that was terrible. Those are bad thoughts. You, mm -hmm. you just get throat surgery and be, you know, absolve yourself from any sort of, uh, you know, culpability from hitting 180 or making Blum carry right? four podcasts. They're like, in a hey, row. just take like, this picture okay. of me with a cast on my throat and everybody will understand why I sucked it on the that's last right. podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. I mean, hey, you got to, it's, it's politically correct too, right? So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I've never seen Bregman on Instagram and then he's in the hospital with surgery and here's his wrist right there. And hey, I had wrist surgery. So, and, and salsa wasn't in the picture. So that was, that was oh, a big update. You should have done an advertisement, right? For, Bomb. Yeah, but we are going to do it right here for this podcast. This is it, Tuttle. Go ahead and uh, give our thanks and gratitude towards those who deserve it the most. Yeah, yeah. So we just uh, had Veterans Day last week, and um, again, you know, thanking the veterans and you know the the military and the first responders and everybody else that uh, allows us to enjoy the freedom that we do. Uh, we sometimes believe that Texas has more freedoms than California, and it may be true, but in the United States of America, we have plenty of frontline workers, uh, teachers, first responders, firefighters, police, and of course the military, uh, both far and wide, um, you know, doing it right. So again, don't forget if you're over the age of 45 to get screened for colorectal cancer. And Blummer, what do you got? I think that's going to do it for this podcast. We had a blast, actually overextended ourselves a little bit, but it's been highly enjoyable. And then one thing that uh, always pushes us and should push you at home also is getting after it and believing it. Believe it. This might be a legit podcast. Way to go, Mark. Yeah, there you go.